1: Well, good Friday morning. I'm Paul again, filling in one more time, Mornings Without Carmen. Today on Monday, Carmen returns. So back to Mornings with Carmen here on Faith Radio. Thank you for joining me. Question for you, how many hats do you wear? Okay, think about it. As a parent, (laughs) okay, that's several hats right there. You know, chief cook, bottle washer, all that other stuff. Sometimes it's the same as an employee. When you're working for a company, you might have many hats there. Oh, you're a citizen. Got that hat. Member of a church? Got that hat. Oh, are you on a ministry team at your church? Okay, add another hat. And maybe you're part of a health club, a civic group, you name it. Lots of hats. Lots of hats we wear. Our lives can be so fragmented at times. And that's just the start of it. Think about all the things trying to get your attention You know, you're driving to work. Maybe you're seeing that one of those lit up billboards right now is trying to get your attention. Your phone, maybe it just buzzed a few moments ago, somebody texting you or you got a notification on one of your apps. Yep, that's trying to get your attention. And, you know, there's so much that is trying to grab your attention, pull you in one direction, pull you another. So many hats, so many distractions, all of them saying, hey, do this, hey, do that. Wouldn't it be great to live... In simpler times, at least less distracting times, (laughs) well, our Growing Your Faith verse today, Deuteronomy 10, verse 12, Now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you? He requires only that you fear the Lord your God and live in ways that please him and love him and serve him with all your heart and soul. Now, remember, Deuteronomy those were the final sermons of Moses before his death and before the nation of Israel entered the promised land after 40 years, of, wand- 40 years that is, of wandering and living outside of the land promised to them and promised to their forefathers. Now, I won't say life was easy. I mean, come on, no phones, no lights, no motor cars, not a single luxury, at least by today's standards. They had a lot of responsibilities through their family and their communities. But, you know, life back then was a lot more basic. A lot fewer distractions, no billboards in the desert as they were traveling. But I said less, not none. And God knew this, especially as they're getting ready to enter and conquer the land of Canaan. The Canaanites still live there. God knew the Canaanites. As a group, they had become very wicked and rebellious against God. They were doing practices that, well, we can't say a lot of them on the air, believe it or not. God was ready to judge them. And replace them in the land with the Hebrews. But God also know that the Canaanites, if they couldn't stop the Israelites militarily, they would try to distract. Dare I say, seduce the Israelites to worship false gods that were not really gods anyway. And to live in ways contrary to his design. He knew there would be distractions and trials in life. So Moses called the people of God, put God first. Seek first his kingdom, his righteousness, as Jesus said. Start with fear of the Lord, which is, as we mentioned yesterday, the beginning of wisdom. And from there, intentionally live in ways. Uh, he called them in his law. And atop all of that, not just do it out of duty, because that could lead to resentment, but out of a love for God, to serve Him completely heart and soul, everything, loving God with all they do and all they are. So what are the distractions getting you this morning? Your cell phone distracting you from the bagel that's right now in the toaster and that's starting to burn? Or maybe you're thinking about, okay, first, first day of March, is that ice cream shop open today? Because, you know, there's some that do that. Whatever it is, remember, first things first. Fear the Lord your God and live in ways that please Him and love Him and serve him with all your heart and all your soul. Well, again, this is Mornings with Carmen. We try to help you apply the mind of Christ to the matters of the day and also sometimes see some of the stories underneath. Now, if you were listening to the uh, news from World, yeah, you heard about the Smokehouse Creek fire that's going on. Large, it is now the largest wildfire in Texas history, second largest in U.S. history, uh, roughly 1,700 square miles Primarily rural farm prairie and brush have been burned, but, you know, the blaze is still only about 3% contained. Two people have been killed, and probably thousands of head of livestock have likely perished in the wildfire. And I heard about this, where on the downside, you know, the downwind of these fires, the ash has been, you know, the wind would blow the ash in and It kind of looks like a lunar landscape. Now, here it is, first day of March, while Texas is dealing with the dry conditions and the wildfires— in the Sierra Nevadas and Lake Tahoe area of California, they're looking at a blizzard warning today. First day of March, first day of what many will call, or at least meteorologists call the first day of spring. Meteorological spring starts today, but 10 feet of snow expected there. Meanwhile, the war continues in Ukraine. And, you know, Ukraine itself, within this two years of the war, they've um, they've fought valiantly. But Russia is taking advantage of its superiority in manpower, equipment, and ammunition and are likely to launch a new offensive in in the coming weeks and into the summer. And without significant increases in supplies from the West, the Russian army could break through Ukrainian defenses and occupy large territories by summer. This was told to Bloomberg News by a person familiar with the analysis of the situation on, on the front's. Assessments of the Ukrainian military leadership has become increasingly gloomy. you got to admit, though, last two years, Ukraine has been fighting valiantly. Now, apart from getting military aid from the West, they have basically been fighting this battle alone. But in another sense, I've recently found out they've not been alone. Chaplains have been offering hope and encouragement to military personnel. Now, okay, yeah, chaplains, we're pretty used to them here in the U.S., They've been a mainstay in the U.S. military for many, many, many years. But in Russian and Ukrainian cultures, it's been hardly – it's it's actually been almost unknown until God moved not that many years ago. And the story about the creation of the Ukrainian chaplains, military chaplains, well, we're going to tell that story next here on Mornings with Carmen. I'm Paul filling in. Thanks for listening to Faith Radio. (music) This past Saturday was the second anniversary of Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Or at least that's our perspective of it, because for many Ukrainians, this has been a longer battle. But the interesting story, or at least one of them behind this, is God has been preparing Ukraine's military spiritually even longer than that. It's an incredible story we hope to share over the next several minutes here on Faith Radio. I'm Paul, filling in for Carmen. Joining me now is Valentin Koronevich. He's on staff with the Kiev Theological Seminary, head of their chaplaincy leadership department, something that didn't exist many years ago Matter of fact, chaplaincy in the Ukrainian military and Russian military didn't exist years ago. And we're going to hear that story. Also joining us, and we'll hear a little bit from him as well during our conversation, is Dr. Richard Perai. He's the director of biblical theology and masters of divinity at Kiev Theological Seminary. We got a lot to cover. So, Valentine, thank you for joining us. I want you to start by telling us your story about where you came from and how you came to Christ.
3: I was born in 1965 in Republic of Kazakhstan. My father and mother was born in Ukraine, but I was born in Kazakhstan.
1: So you're ethnic Ukrainian? Yeah,
3: yes, yes, yes. Mo- mostly my life I live in Kazakhstan and next I go to Russia I-, I went to Russia where I was studying in the military school. After military school I come back to army in Kazakhstan and service with my young wife. I not believer because my father and mother not believer. My father was communist, and in army I also stayed communist.
1: Okay, we did hear another voice in there. That was Yurislav Wozniak. He is going to be translating uh, for Valentin through the rest of this conversation. Valentin, continue to tell us your story. How did you come to know Jesus?
3: Until the 1990, I didn't know anything about God, and I didn't see Bible at all. I was an officer in the Soviet Army. And the uh, Soviet government taught us that even Americans are our enemies, and you should be against them. In 1991, someone gave me a New Testament outside on a street. And the same day, someone else, another person just gave me a second New Testament and told me that thing, special thing for military guys.
1: <laughs> That's quite a message from God, getting two Bibles in one day. Okay, Valentine, what did you do from there?
3: I decided to read New Testament, but I didn't understand anything. After uh, a while, I managed to get an interesting book of this author in Ukraine, Master Margarita, it was Bulgakov's book. And the main character in this book was Satan. Then firstly in my life I realized that Jesus Christ is a real person, not just fantasy of ancient Greeks. So gradually I started to come to understanding of that Jesus Christ is a historical person.
1: Again, thank you for listening. I'm Paul, and talking with Valentin Koronevich, uh, who heads up the chaplaincy program through Kiev Theological Seminary, which, again, God has used amazingly in the last more than two years in that country. But as we continue your story, Valentin, now, the Soviet Union collapses around this time, and you're hearing about God for the first time. What happens from there? Yeah.
3: So I had a choice where uh, should I live because uh, my uh, we live in Kazakhstan. My parents were uh, from uh, Ukraine and my wife was from Russia. I was a company. I couldn't pray. So in 1992, uh, I and my wife decided to come to Ukraine, and we came uh, here. Uh, there were lots of churches and interesting people, so I started to get to know with uh, Christian Christian people. And I faced with people that uh, offered me free Christian literature, uh, different magazines. Uh, it was Jehovah Wisdom, so uh, they proposed something that like Christian. So it was, uh, they gave me not uh, Christian, but uh, like Christian
1: uh, magazines. Okay, so you're getting caught up in this cult that Jehovah Witnesses. How did God deliver you from that?
3: I really <laughs> believed that the <they're laughs> true Christians, well, there was a problem, because on the one hand I started to attend uh, whole kingdoms the, like, like <laughs> church of Jehovah Wisdom, but on the other hand my wife sta- uh, started to read the Bible and check what is written in these Jehovah Wisdoms magazines. So uh, I was uh, on a high position as, a, as an officer, and I was really offended by my wife Check my magazines, I'm a uh, high-level officer. So uh, I even uh, was so handy so I even slept in another room separately from my wife. It was difficult. Uh, And my wife even tried to uh, make some peace with me and restore our relationship. I continued to uh, attend Hall of Kingdoms, and I uh, told my wife that I will not leave my God even for the sex. But I also started to read the Bible, and once I read a verse that no one can uh, call Jesus Christ as a Lord uh, only by Holy Spirit. And uh, in one Jehovah's Wisdom's book, I uh, had read that um, we can admit uh, in some way Jesus as a Lord, but he was just a big teacher. So I uh, came to the one of the elders just to ask him about that. I asked this elder, is God for you Is just a great teacher, or you can say that Jesus Christ is the one? Normally this uh, man all, always was smiling, but after this question he stopped smiling, and he became silent. I realized that, I don't know why and how, but they maybe have a problem with the Holy Spirit, and I cannot be with
1: them anymore. Oh, wow. Again, we're talking with Valentin Koronevich. He is the head of the chaplaincy leadership department at Kiev Theological Seminary in Kiev, Ukraine. And oh, okay, Valentin... God brought you out of the Jehovah's Witnesses. You still had to go back to your wife. And and also, we want to hear how he got you involved in ministry. So I guess, let's start with your wife. You, what, what happened?
3: So, at home, there was my wife who was more right than me because she was reading Bible and I was reading magazines. I was an officer, so I couldn't just say, sorry, I was wrong. And I decided and I created a plan. I just uh, came and said, do you want to live in peace? I will not attend uh, Hall of Kingdoms, and you will not uh, tell me anymore about any confessions that you want. Like. And let us just uh, right now pray with you where God uh, desires us to go. It was uh, something like uh, children do. We just tended in the middle of the room and I asked uh, God where you want for us to go. And we agreed, uh, we uh, made an agreement. Then I thought, we live in a nine uh, floors building where only military people live. Who will come here? Uh, the next morning I was in the kitchen when I heard the uh, sound of ring in our door. And one woman, she just came and told us, let us go uh, to the church. No one did that before. And she also told us that she will come to us after 30 minutes to go. And my wife uh, said that I don't want to go. I don't know where she called us to go. And I said that I don't care. Uh, We promised yesterday and we even uh, had that agreement that we will go uh, wherever she will direct us and wherever she offered us. And God directed us to the place that he wanted us to come. I was in this small church for nine years and I graduated from the seminary. It was time for preparation, because I uh, didn't plan to be a believer.
1: All right, you didn't plan, but god planned for you that's the cool thing valentine well i'm paul and thank you again for listening to faith radio as we continue this conversation in a few moments we have to fast forward because valentine becomes a pastor and then gets called to be the leader of a chaplaincy movement in ukraine something that traditionally hasn't been part of their military and social life so we're going to hear more about this in just a few moments thanks for listening to faith radio
0: what season of life are you in right now Season of life. There are lots of ways to answer that question. So what season of life are you in right now? You may feel as if you are in a season of hopeful expectation or a season of desperation. You may feel as if you are in a dry season or a rainy season or maybe a season of abundance. Maybe this is a transitional season for you. What season of life are you in right now? Let me say first that you're not alone in whatever season you are in. And let me also say that God wants to meet you and be with you in that current season, even in that season of wilderness or dryness. And God wants to lead you through that current season to the next one. Discover what God is doing in your life now and where he's leading next At this year's Set Apart Conference for Women, it's March 8 and 9 at the University of Northwestern St. Paul. You can register today at setapartconference.com. That's setapartconference.com.
1: God doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies those he calls. We're hearing that story this morning here on Faith Radio. I'm Paul, and we continue our conversation now with Valentin Kornevich, who is on staff with Kiev Theological Seminary in Ukraine with their chaplaincy leadership department. We are also joined by his translator, Yuroslav, and uh, Dr. Richard Perhai, who's also with Kiev Theological Seminary. Let's continue talking with you, Valentin, because, okay— God called you, as we just heard, he equipped you, he made you a pastor for a while, and then he moved you on to a new opportunity to start a chaplaincy organization within that country. Now, how did that all come about?
3: In uh, 2008, after eight years, we started a new church, and simultaneously, one American he offered me to start a chaplaincy program i didn't know how to be a pastor how to plant a church and what does it mean to be a chaplain but i thought that if god wants me to do that why not I remember we came to the seminary and there was a meeting where Richard was also and it was 16 years ago. So eight years God uh, prepared me for that and and 16 years I am working with the chaplaincy program in the seminary. We didn't know that there will be a beginning of the war in uh, 2014. We didn't know that two years ago there will be, uh, there would be a beginning of full-scale aggression, but God knew, and he let me pre- be prepared to help these people to be prepared for the work, and for me to be in the seminary to support these people who will serve.
1: Yeah, this is really amazing, Valentine, because, again, with Bruce Kittleson from Olive Branch bringing this idea of a chaplaincy, uh, chaplaincy is not something that was well-known or at least done much in Ukraine and Russian culture, right? Yes, uh, that's true.
3: And as I mentioned, I was an officer of, uh, of logistics and I have never heard and I, I have never known Anything about chaplains. And this American, Bruce Kittleson, he took me to the United States to the one military base in Virginia and he showed me and told me that uh, there are chaplains, and uh, there is their service, their work. And then he took me to the Washington state to alter it, and he he told me that that's the hospital uh, uh, chaplain. Then he showed me the chaplain's school and uh, told me that there is a place where chaplains are studying. So, when I returned to Ukraine, I had lots of books about the chaplaincy in English language, sure. I waited my suitcase and it was 22 kilograms, and I had only one more kilogram to put something else. And I, I, I faced the choice, what to, should I do to take more books about chaplaincy or buy peanut butter for my kids, because it's really something special in uh, Ukraine. And dinner butter bones.
1: Okay, so God has equipped you, and thanks to your trip to the United States, you had a lot of this literature. But talk about how, and maybe uh, Richard, you want to come in on this here about the chaplaincy program that Kiev Theological Seminary put together. I mean, how did how did you and Valentine get connected in this regard?
4: I had served earlier as the academic dean and had uh, handed over those responsibilities to a Ukrainian, um, but when, when Valentin approached uh, the Ukrainian academic dean, uh, Sergei, um, Sergei uh, asked me to join him because uh, that was uh, kind of a new undertaking, trying to add another specialization. Uh, to our bachelor's program, we already had at that time, I think, four or five other specializations. So uh, the base, you know, bachelor's in theology program was already in place, the Bible, the theology, the, you know, the practical ministries classes. So, um, and we had a, you know, a process for people to develop their 11 courses to provide the specialization or what in the West we would call a major to that bachelor's degree, and so that's what we did. We met with with uh, Valentine and with Bruce Kittleson from Olive Branch Ministries, and and we discussed those details with them, and and they put together a program and a proposal. And you know, we went back and forth a few times on it, and uh, you know, they had to determine what materials were already available, and obviously, there was almost nothing available. Uh, in Russian or Ukrainian, and so some works had to be translated. And that was the start of it almost 16 years ago now, about we're in the 16th year.
1: All right, and you've seen a lot of growth in that, especially because, you know, the last 10 years of the conflict. And I guess my next question is, because you've had many people go through the program, I'm not sure who wants to answer this, Valentin or Richard, but did you ever think you— and your seminary would have such a huge impact on the soldiers in this conflict.
4: Valentine. you want to speak to that? I, I mean, I, I didn't anticipate this at all. I, being a Westerner, even when, when Crimea was, was taken over, I, I didn't really understand the gravity of what was going on. At, but I'm sure Valentine had a much more uh, clear understanding of, of what was going on, you know, even 12 years ago.
3: Yeah. So, that so. was a program they especially on the protestant part of the military movement and with uh, the minister of defense and with uh, other confession within few years we prepared a special governmental law for that for For a year of 2000 we prayed we prayed uh, for 20 years for us to have such Chaplain's service here in Ukraine as you have in the United States. And five years ago, we already had a great voluntary chaplain's uh, movement. And three years ago, we also had a civilian chaplains that got paid by the government. We continued to pray and work with the government. And two years ago we got a Ukrainian law about the chaplains. That was really dynamic and powerful, uh, uh, God's uh, power, God's strength that uh, answered our questions and uh, answered our prayers. And it was God's movement that uh, moved us. from. From the volunteer chaplaincy to the civilian, and from the civilian one to the uh, military, that really looks like Americans that you have in the uh, two years of the war, it's not uh, long term, but we already have 300 uh, of official uh, military chaplains.
1: Again, Valentine, so amazing how a God prepared you to be such a blessing to your countrymen. And this chaplaincy actually has gone beyond just the military. It's gone into hospitals and other aspects of Ukrainian culture. But right now in our last few moments, I'd like you to share some stories about how the chaplaincy program has made an impact, especially with the military.
3: In our seminar, we have a tradition to gather together, uh, all Protestant cha- chaplains in uh, in these walls, walls. And every of these chaplains told us his story. And the heart of these stories uh, of, of really differ- from really different uh, chaplains, uh, the heart is the same, that God Makes uh, miracles on the front line. It's not something like a fairy tale. There is a spe- some system in this miracle. One chaplain uh, was uh, told us that I um, draw a car with few several soldiers, and they were talking about the faith. And one soldier uh, said that I don't believe in God and I don't want even listen uh, to this. And the Hiring the uh, shavings started, and the chaplain said pray. that let us pray for God to protect us for the for being targeted. And the the soldier that was against this, he said that I don't need any prayer. You sh- you shouldn't uh, pray for me. And Russian drone struck this car, and uh, I think you can guess that everybody survived except the soldiers that demonstratively rejected God's protection and God's help. And in another situation, soldiers saw that chemical grenade; um, it was thrown to their trench and it was granite with special um, gas that should. And soldiers started to pray for protection and the wind carried this gas from their trench to another direction. And in another trench there was the same situation with the Grenade was thrown so, into the trench, and uh, people in such situation didn't want to pray or they didn't want to do that, uh, and other soldiers did, and they were hurt. And I can share with you endlessly these stories, but the sense, the core is the one that God saves those who ask him for protection.
1: Oh, Valentine! thanks for sharing the stories. Thanks for doing what you're doing for your countrymen in Ukraine amidst all the conflict there. Again, we've been talking with Valentin Koronevich from the Kiev Theological Seminary through his translator, Yaroslav. Thank you both. And also thank you, to to Dr. Richard Perhai for joining us this morning. Also from Kiev Theological Seminary. You also heard about Bruce Kittleson from the organization Olive Branch International that really helped out in this project. You can learn more about all of this at Olive Branch's website, olivebranchintl.com. Olive Branch International. Again, this is Mornings with Carmen. Thanks again for listening in. Coming your way in just a few moments, our regular bi-weekly Friday visit with Daniel DeWitt from the Theolate blog. Uh, Theolatte blog, you know, it's it's coffee. It's coffee. Coffee's important, especially on a Friday morning. <laughs> this is Mornings with Carmen on Faith Radio. Again, thanks for listening to Mornings Without Carmen. She'll be back in on Monday. I'm Paul. Here it is, first day of March this Friday. Yesterday was National Toast Day. Today is National Peanut Butter Day, which brings up the all-important question that I'll have to ask Dan DeWitt right now, Did, uh, who's with the Theo Latte blog. Along with that Coffee in the Morning, you have the toast with with what peanut butter, creamy or chunky?
2: Oh, chunky, all day long. Really? Yes. I'm, yes,
1: I'm more of a creamy guy. I mean, I'll do chunky, but I prefer creamy. Just, just
2: me. I guess. Yeah. And I, as a kid, I used to put peanut butter in a, a coffee mug and then put syrup in it and then stir it together. What? Si- peanut butter and syrup? It's amazing. That oh, will change your life, Paul.
1: Maple syrup or <laughs> what? What kind of like si- pink?
2: Yeah, maple syrup. Oh,
1: oh yep. so pancakes. Oh, That just sounds yeah.
2: too. And it's
1: okay. As a kid, I awesome. probably would have loved it. I'm kind of going as an adult. <laughs> I mean, I, you know, I'm trying to not ingest too much sugar. I'm trying to stay healthy. That just sounds yeah. like, no, no. I mean, I like my jelly,
2: but <laughs> no. Well, let me ask you this. Peanut butter and banana sandwiches. Oh, definitely.
1: Huh? Definitely. Yes. Oh, yeah. Oh, Yeah. Yeah. No, without question. (laughs) Without question. Okay, let's get to more serious (laughs) topics here, though, Dan, and thank you for your writings again at the theolatte.com, along with doing your blogging there. You're an apologist. You're the director of the Center for Worldview and Culture at Southwest Baptist University, and got interesting writings uh, this week because we're looking at the soul now. Can science disprove the notion of a soul? Because a former musician turned professor, Brian Cox, says, yeah, science makes it plain. The soul doesn't exist. How do you respond?
2: Yeah, um, it's interesting. People have tried to come up with a physical kind of way to measure the soul. And so, for example, they'll measure the body. If someone's you know near death, how much does the person weigh prior to death? And then there's... Like you yeah, offer people point to studies that there's this very, very small change after death. They weigh just some small fraction different. And they'll say, hey, there's proof, physical proof for the soul. The soul's now left the body. Um, and that's kind of the argument that Brian Cox is making. There's no way to detect the soul in some physical, measurable way. Um, in the same way that some Christians are trying to see if we could, you know, is it, you know, point to you know, whatever the measurement would be, the soul weighs this amount. Um, Brian Cox is on the other side saying, actually, there seems to be no significant physical way to measure the soul, therefore it doesn't exist. And to me, these kind of, either on the Christian side or the the secular skeptic side, both seem to miss the point in that the claim of the soul is that it's an immaterial part of the human condition. And I had an atheist friend who said to me one time, if you could prove to me what organ in the body is the soul, then I would gladly believe in it. And I said to him, you know, that I'm not claiming the soul is a part of the physical body, but rather, I think the Christian view is that we are, and this is for the philosophers out there, this is known as substance dualism, that we are a human is, is body, soul. That these are two different substances. One is material, the other is immaterial. Um, and they have a very interesting relationship, one with the other. And so I have a video in this, in today's post, um, the Worldview Reader, that is more of a secular kind of description of this conversation but still a helpful one, um, which I often will link to and include things that um, wouldn't necessarily line up with the Christian worldview. But my goal is that people will listen to it and think about it. And they point out how a man, um, a historical example of a man who had a a railroad spike that ended up going into his skull, Mm -hmm. um, and they were able to extract it, and he lived, that his personality radically changed. Mm. And some will take that and say that proves that whatever we're calling soul is just a physical thing. Um, it's not an immaterial part of us. And therefore, if you have a physical change um, and your personality changes, your soul has changed, they would argue because your soul is just some part of your biochemistry. But how would you argue otherwise then? Well, I I, I would say um, that the example I've used sometimes comes from Ghostbusters, the movie Ghostbusters, oh, okay. the original old school OG I've been Ghostbusters. Sli- Yes. And I think they still use the same devices, even in the more recent one. Oh, yeah. Um, But, you know, I I recall a scene where their their sensor that senses paranormal activity. I forget what it's called. Do you know what it's called, Paul?
1: Oh, I don't recall what it is. I just remember the the little – yeah, I know the device you're talking about, yes.
2: The little arms like pop up on the side and like pop up. Um, Like there's a scene where that's broken, and just because it's broken doesn't mean there's not paranormal activity going on. You can't mm-hmm. say that this device that measures it, if it's broken, that there's there are no ghosts. Mm. Now, to move into our discussion, if there is this immaterial part of the soul, just because the machine of our body is broken and the two aren't able to interact in perfect sync doesn't prove the soul doesn't exist. So I would argue that a person who has dementia, um, who's losing their cognitive faculties, their abilities, that doesn't mean their soul is somehow diminished, but rather the machinery itself is is being affected. And so for the Christian view, we understand and value both the body and the soul. And I think in our cultural moment with a proper and helpful um, emphasis on well-being, there's this return to caring for this part of us, of course, the body, a good diet and mm-hmm. exercise and rest. But there's also a part of us that I think a growing number of people are giving focus to our spirituality. Mm. That there's something in us that's immaterial, um, but it's it's still us. Yeah. And so that that my argument would be just because the machinery is broke does not mean the soul is there, and that our worth is not determined by our our physical or cognitive abilities, but as humans mm-hmm. created in the image of God, as body and soul, um, we're able to respond to God. Um, with heart, mind, strength, and soul, and we're able to respond to others with heart, mind, strength, and soul. And of course, Jesus said, you know, the, the greatest command is to love God um, with heart, mind, strength, and soul, and to love others, your neighbor as yourself.
1: Ooh, you're picking up on our uh, Growing Your Faith verse today, which talks, it's from uh, it, it's from Deuteronomy 10, 12, and now Israel, yes. what does the Lord your God require of you? He requires that you fear the Lord your God, live in a way that pleases Him, and love Him and serve Him with all your heart and soul. Mm-hmm. So you're tying in there. Atheists have a problem here, too. I mean, they want if they want to talk about measuring or, or such, how do you measure something like love?
2: That's absolutely right, and that's the challenge that that that's the challenge that people who reduce all of the human experience down to scientific. Um, and I have a an article that you helpfully sent me that I linked to, um, how we need to put an end to this kind of reducing everything down to merely scientific descriptions. <clears throat> if we do that, what's lost in the mix, and what atheist philosophers and scientists recognize? is what it means to be human mm-hmm. because none of us get out of bed in the morning and live for the law of gravity. It would be hard to function in the world without the law of gravity. Um so we can't live without it but we don't live for, for it. it. Uh, and so yeah. these these scientific values are 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 meaningful ways to understand and measure the world but we know that there's something more. We know that there's there are these immaterial values like love and beauty and justice and friendship, um, poetry. These are things that we can't reduce to merely um, the the chemical properties of the ink on the paper. When someone writes a poem, a right. poem is more than that. Right. The truths of those things are more than that. So no one's living for the chemical properties of the ink. They're living for the meaning that's derived from those words, the feelings we have that are expressed in those words. And those are non-scientific realities. And I would argue they're pointing in a certain direction that makes sense if there's an immaterial part of the human experience that the Christians call the soul.
1: Mm -hmm. We could say the same about the whole, as you were mentioning, scientism, that movement, because there's a lot that they embody that is philosophical. It's more ethos Mm -hmm. than it is actually. Anyway. Well, we're talking with Dan Dewitt, who's a lover of uh, peanut butter and syrup, as is Lori from Texas. She t- she texted yes. in at 877-933-2484. She's right there with you, loving mixing Amen. the mixing the pancake syrup in with the peanut butter in a in it's a so cup. Good. Uh, okay, I might try. I might try it. We'll see. But Please do. <laughs> when we continue, okay, we talked about the division of you know you have the atheists and the Christians, and you know can the soul be measured? But there's another group of people who kind of kind of go well. There's something, maybe there, something-ism. We'll talk about that next as we continue talking with Dan DeWitt here on Faith Radio.
0: 150 million people, 150 million people actively use one particular app every month in the United States of America. I want that to be the Faith Radio app. How about you? If you're wondering how you could be encouraged in your faith at any time, anywhere, well, I got good news for you. There's literally an app for that. You can listen to Faith Radio Live, any show on demand, no matter where you are at any time of the day or night. Download the free Faith Radio app right now. It's super easy. Just text the word APP to 877-933-2484 and click the link. Let's connect faith to life.
1: Okay, pe- uh, chunky peanut butter on ice cream. That's what Rick and Madison is saying is the way he likes his peanut butter. He likes it chunky, just like you, Dan. I, I'm, I'm still more the creamy guy, but...
2: Uh, no. I like creamy, too, though.
1: Oh, you do? Yeah. Well, I mean, that's yeah. usually what you get when you get yourself like a Reese's peanut butter cup, so... Yeah.
2: Okay, I'm getting myself I hungry. I Reese's,
1: too. I <laughs> know.
2: Uh, oh, you said Reese's. Is uh, that the wrong one? Well, well, I, they, I like some too. people
1: pronounce it Reese's, others, it's Reese's. If you ever listen to the commercials, oh, it's gotcha. Reese's, but some people say Reese's. Reese's.
2: Oh, well. Whatever. You get that, like an I, like there's an I in there. Yeah, the, yeah, no, yeah, that makes sense. Anyway. Well, let, let's talk about something-ism right now, because
1: as we were talking before, you know, you have the divide between those who, the, the atheist worldview and the Christian worldview. There's some yeah. people who don't want to subscribe to either. They subscribe to something-ism.
2: Yeah, I, I had not heard of this category before. You know, of course, in in North America, we often talk about nuns and O N E S people who would no longer identify with any specific religious tradition. And often they still th- that group still believes in God. So when they you know dig in dive deeper into their beliefs, they'll see that they still have some belief in God. Um, but I was having dinner with a friend who's a ministry leader in in the Netherlands. And he described a Dutch word. It's eat eats. I'm not sure how to pronounce it right. I e t s, and it simply means something. And so, because of the growing number of people who, when they were asked what they believed, they would use this Dutch word um, because they speak the. That sounds about right. They speak the Dutch language. Um, It is actually a formal category now that Mm. they can check the box. So you could be Christian or. Muslim or Hindu or something like that, but then you could also adhere to somethingism. Hmm. And I thought, well, that's really interesting. Um, it, there's a parallel to what we've seen in, in here in North America, but I also think theirs might be a little different. But I found an interesting article that I linked to in my article. The title of my article is simply somethingism. It's in the Worldview Reader, and the article I linked to gives this description of somethingism, and I'll quote. Times of great change are also fearful times. People feel uncertain at sea. Many people feel they have little or no control over their lives. And that makes some of them angry. Spirituality is the answer. Some say we've reached the end of the grand narrative. Not only is Christianity passe, but the meta stories, the overarching stories, to insert a little commentary Mm -hmm. here, these overarching stories that tell us science or socialism will bring ultimate salvation have also failed to pan out. In the meantime, a new grand narrative is being created, a hopeful and uplifting story one more and more people are starting to believe and from which we can derive inspiration and vitality. And that's this belief, I don't know what it is, they might say, but there's something more than science tells us. It's not Christianity. I'm not sure what it is, but there's something more.
1: Hmm. So, I mean, if you're to break it down, because it does sound like stuff we talk about here in America, those who are spiritual, not religious— but, there, okay, you, you, you outlined some broad beliefs about somethingism. but I guess that's where we want to look at next. What do these people who are somethingists, if that's a word, believe?
2: <laughs> yeah, so the article outlines seven things. And the, the seven things are that all religions tell the same story. Second, God resides within us. Third, only as an individual can we find harmony with others. Fourth, live in your body, not in your head. Fifth, we must let the ego die. Sixth, humanity evolves through our individual development. And then finally, everything is connected. And I think that there are, you know, anytime that we, to whatever degree, these seven broad beliefs are an accurate depiction of something is, and I think anytime you do a list, you find that it fits with a certain, you know, demographic of that group, but maybe not to all of them. Um, But these categories really fit well um, in an Eastern perspective, in Eastern religions, the the belief that all is one Mm -hmm. and that all is God. And so, you know, if I teach worldview analysis in class, I would refer to that, as other authors have, as Eastern pantheistic monism. Now, just that category, of course, comes off as a little pretentious because, you know, I'm defining East as someone who lives in the West. So that kind of implies the superiority of a Western perspective. But nonetheless, these are religious perspectives that are often common um, in the East. And the the term, to break it down as quickly as I can, Eastern means usually outside of the West. And often people go and search for these kinds of perspectives because they're disenfranchised Mm -hmm. with Western thought. And, you know, we might quote the old song, war, what is it good for? Absolutely nothing. (laughs) They would say, what is Western thought and rationality brought us to? It brings us to technological development, and it brings us to war and the use of advancement for power. So we want to reject that and look towards the East. Pantheism is the belief that God is is everything, that everything is God. And then monism, so Eastern, pantheistic, everything is God. Monism monism is that that word means all is one. Mm-hmm. so the belief that all is God and all is one and it's common among Eastern religions. so this has this has a lot of similarity in that And so when people are saying I believe in something, I don't believe in Christianity or Scientism um, what they're describing sounds a lot like what we might define as Eastern religions or what often we do in the West is we'll take thoughts from other cultures and baptize it in our own culture. And so when you take Eastern religions and baptize them in Western culture, what comes out of those baptismal waters is the new age movement. Mm, and what I see like right it. now in these broad categories is more of a new age kind of perspective. But the helpful thing here is that they we, we're we not talking to people who are committed to scientistic understandings of the world, that it's just what science could say. There's a belief that there's more, and that's a good thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but what we want to press them on is how would we ever know this God who's in all of us? And the Christian answer would be only if he made himself known. Um, but I, I am encouraged by these categories merely because I think that um, when someone's open to something more than the material world, mm-hmm. as the Apostle Paul said in Athens long ago, um, God is not far from any of us. Right. Um, and so there's a way in which this is an open door, an open opportunity to point them to the one true and living God. Yeah. Again,
1: Dan DeWitt has been our guest. And if you want to read more about somethingism and some of the other stuff we talked about, it's on his worldview reader, which you can find at com. He puts it out every couple of weeks and then joins us to talk about some of the stuff in his worldview yeah. reader. I kind of like that, Dan. I so,
2: do too. And Paul, what's crack-a-lacking?
1: Oh, we didn't do that. Yes, well, no, I Yeah, we forgot to fit that in. I guess peanut butter's crack-a-lacking. A lot of people commenting about yes. how they like their their peanut butter, including Kenny in Southern Manitoba saying chocolate chip, banana pancakes Ooh. smothered in maple syrup and
2: peanut butter. Ah. How does that yes. sound? Yes, amen. <laughs> that sounds awesome.
1: <laughs> well, go get your breakfast now, Dan. We'll t- We'll talk to you again. Sounds
3: good. See you, Paul.
1: Connect connect with Dan again at theolatte.com. I'm Paul filling in for Carmen. What's your faith radio story? We'd love to hear it. How has faith radio made a difference in your life? Comforted you? Challenged you? Maybe through one of the conversations or messages, it's like, oh, it was just the right word at the right time. Tell us your faith radio story by going to myfaithradio.com. Dot com. Click on Tell Us Your Story. We'd love to hear it. We'd love to hear it. More Mornings with Carmen on the way. Oh, what's your favorite oldest hymn? Yeah, let us know. 877-933-2484.
0: Thanks for listening to Mornings with Carmen LeBurge. Podcasts like this are available because of your support. If it's important to you to hear things that encourage your faith, click the link in the show notes to give now. And thanks.